0: Uh, between the Game and Life podcast, I have uh, Phil Morrison with me today, uh, founder of Hoops for Christ, uh, skill development, uh, one of the Asbury greats, former professional basketball player. Phil, I appreciate
1: you being here with me, man. My man, Kim, I appreciate the invite, brother.
0: Yeah, I like to give first impressions that I have of people. So um, I don't know if you've, you've heard much of my story about how I ended up at Asbury so when I was in high school, our coach would say, if you don't pick it up, I'm going to send you to Asbury. So after I, after I, <laughs> <laughs> so after I danced around, you know, going to um, junior college and trying all these other, you know, avenues of playing college ball, I finally said, all right, let's see what Asbury's saying. Um, I think I went to watch you guys play. I think this was in 2010, maybe late 2010. And I just see this dude just out here getting buckets. And so, like my my um, you know vision of Asbury was very low, so to see someone actually out there getting buckets and eating, I was like, "What is going on down here?" <laughs> and so, and so it was um, it was you and Delf just it was like y'all just taking turns just getting buckets, and I was like, okay. "Okay, okay, I like what I'm seeing out here." So, um, that was that was fun to watch you play a couple of times, and I think that was your senior year, so I never got the chance okay. to play with you obviously, but um, I like to start from the beginning. And like I texted you, you have one of the best basketball stories that I've ever heard, but what were your first like memories of falling in love with the game on through childhood to high school?
1: Um, I grew up and fell in love with the game probably around age five. So um, I grew up with, you know, the nineties bulls was my childhood. So I grew up, you know, Michael Jordan was my favorite player. Um, I grew up in downtown Louisville, old Louisville, at a church called Juana Street Baptist Church. So I was there probably six days a week playing basketball all day, every day, uh, the only white kid in there. So my my rivals, uh, one-on-one rivals growing up was like Rayjean Rondo and a lot of other very talented players, players better than Rayjean that that – um, didn't make it to the level he did, but there was, um, at that young age, it was, uh, just me trying to survive and keep up. And I just had such a passion for it. And, you know, I think that's probably where it all started.
0: Gotcha. What was your, um, high school experience like? Cause I know you went to PRP. Did you go to PRP all four years?
1: Well, actually my freshman year, I went to manual high school okay. in Louisville, which is known primarily for their academics, um, I'm not that smart. My grandmother worked there. So she got me in (laughs) actually through art. I got in on a, they're a magnet school. So you have to have a focus. And I got in through art, um, which is actually what one of my degrees was at Asbury. And uh, I played there one year, but you know, my ambition and dream was like basketball. And so I had the opportunity to transfer after my freshman year, the head coach had Just quit, so it was kind of like a in between where I needed to make a decision what I wanted to do, and you know I wanted to take basketball as far as possible, so I transferred, and then I spent my last three years at PRP, you know, which was for me growing up watching them was like an NBA team, you know, they were they were PRP and Ballard were pretty much like the powerhouses in Louisville, and uh, so that's that's what I ended up doing, finished my last three years at PRP.
0: Who were some of the other local guys that you looked up to? Maybe, I mean, you mentioned you're around the same age as Rondo, but was there someone um, above above your age group that you looked up to and watched? I know you just said PRP and Ballard were some of the powerhouses in Louisville, but Louisville's so big. I mean, there's so many players that, that's come out of there that, that a lot of people probably had never heard of.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could go through a long list of the PRP guys, like a long list. Um, outside of them, I would say uh, Larry Obannon, who played at Mel High School, ended up playing at U of L. He's become a friend of mine. We trained quite a bit together. Whenever he was still playing overseas, he's the one that sticks out. Um, but really, I I'd probably say like all the PRP guys. You know, there was another player from Faraday named Cork Riggs. He played at he played at U of L for a year. He was an influence on me. A friend of mine. Um, but I would say probably like any of the, the, just a long stream of division one point guards that came from PRP, small guards that came from PRP um, with their style of prep play really influenced me. And uh, even when I was there, we had some really good teams. We were nationally ranked one year and we were top five in the state every year I was there.
0: Yeah. What was your your high school career like from uh, um, just you personally, like, and before college because I know you had a great college career but what was your high school career like
1: so the funny thing is is what I averaged at Asbury was my career high at (laughs) PRP that's how stacked we were at PRP um you know just in my few years there we had um we had two guys that were finalists for Mr. Basketball I want to say five or six went division one uh four of us ended up playing professionally um so uh, I, it was very limited, even my senior year. I, I think only averaged like 12 points per game 11, 12 points. Mm-hmm. Our leading scorer was um, top 75 in the nation, um, and he was just averaging 14. Mm-hmm. So we had five guys averaging double figures. So I had a, um, and I had to like really wait my turn and grind and fight. I didn't, I started a couple games my junior year, um, but we were ranked number one in the state, number 18 in the nation my junior year. And uh, I didn't really start, become a captain until my senior year. So it was a a process of where I, I had to learn and grow and bloom over a four year period. You know, nothing was handed to me at all. I really had to work just to keep up and uh, make it.
0: Yeah. That's how it was at Brown Station where I went down here in um, Lexington. Um, I played, you know, freshman in JV my first two years. And then, uh i didn't i was a sixth man my junior year so that was shelvin max senior year and like we were okay. top we were like top three in the state the whole year and all that stuff like you're saying and um and then started my senior year but like you said like we had you know four or five guys that went d1 near my tenure there as well as well and i've i've noticed like during my time when i was Growing up, like a lot of guys went under the radar because in the city you would have like five or six players on each team that were averaging um double figures. You know, like no one was averaging like 28, 30 in the city, you no. know what I mean? So you would have like these collection of basketball players where you know many D one talents ended up going D two or NAI just because the whole team was solid, and not just one person.
1: Yeah. I- I joke about that. If I got to play on a country school, they would have thought I was Richie Farmer, the second coming of Rex Chapman. That's what Coach Canley used to call me at PRP said, man, if you played in a county school, man, they would think you were Rex Chapman, because uh, like I said, I was just fighting for minutes, and uh, you know, I, had a, I still hold the JV score. I think I had 41 points in 20 minutes in a JV game. And then I didn't get into varsity games the next night. You know, right. it's just – we were so stacked. But, you know, what was unique about that is I feel like I was the last era of players that grew up playing at the park. Mm-hmm. So, like, college and pro guys still went to the park. They would still played Iroquois and Wyandotte, L, Shawnee, Shepherd Square. Like, we grew up playing at the park. And you just don't see that anymore. So, our pickup games at PRP would be the starting five versus the returning – division one players and pros right? like that was our, we didn't, we didn't play spring AAU. We, we just lifted weights and played open gym. That's how we got better. And you were playing against grown men. You know, my whole life, I grew up playing against grown men. So you just learned the game in a different way. Right.
0: Did your personal skill development, like putting yourself through drills start at that time? Cause I remember when you came back to Asbury a couple of times when I was there and you were doing your two ball um, demonstrations and you were talking about your work ethic that you had in college. I know I'm, I know I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but did that, did that uh, personal skill development start in high school?
1: Um, it really started, I'd probably say middle school, mm-hmm. middle school is where it started. You know, I grew up a military father who really taught me discipline and work ethic, like from business to, when I was as a player to now in business and skill development, my grit and work ethic really came from my father. He really, really like instilled in me that, um, you know, no one is going to hand you anything. Like you're going to have to absolutely work for everything. You're going to have to learn to become valuable and cover up weak areas where you're maybe not the biggest and most athletic. You're going to have to be the hardest worker and do the little things. And so from a young age, my dad had me, you know, running, running the hills in the park and i grew up doing all my workouts on the toilet bowl rim at the mm-hmm. park so that's a swish are you running and chasing that ball <laughs> you know right and that, that's how i grew up i didn't grew up playing in the gym i grew up playing at the park and uh then you know he'd come back at night and, and force me you know yeah i'd cry sometimes because i wouldn't get picked up but he would force me to play with grown men mm. and um until like when i was in high school then it was like you know, I had established myself. So that's really where it came from, you know, the drills and stuff, I would say my dad was the one that really pushed me um, to, to to develop that work ethic.
0: Love it. So tell me about your first college you attended. And I think this is one of like the, the, the hearts of your story because I think you, and you're going to tell it, but I think you went to a school and then like, I think this is where your testimony started, right? And then you like gave up basketball and came back to it. So I can't wait to hear about this.
1: So um, my senior year, I had a good senior year. We went to the state tournament and um, I thought, Oh, I'm going to go to Rupp arena and get all these scholarship offers. And funny enough was the, one of the top three offers was Asbury. It was coach Shouse. He was an assistant at the time, but it was coach Shouse, but they weren't quite meeting what I needed. And um, so I went. Who ended up being? I went with uh, a guy named Matt Morris. I actually, ended up married in his cousin, but he was a, at U of L at the time, uh, assistant coach. He took me up to Olivet Nazarene University, just south of Chicago, NAI school. And I went up there, and they were like offering, you know, like an OK scholarship, but they they matched me up with their all-American guard, and then their starting point guard the next year, and. We played pickup in front of the coaches, and my team won all 10 games. Wow. Just went ham and destroyed. Yeah. They're, I was like, you might as well build a statue of me, if this is what you're putting in front of me because I'm, I'm used to PRP. And, you know, right. I was like, man, this is like all white boys in the middle of a cornfield <laughs> playing Hoosiers basketball. I'm running gun from Louisville, right? Right. So I pretty much just earned almost a full scholarship in that one visit. Mm-hmm. And it was good because, you know, part of my testimony was I had a falling out with my dad. So I actually moved out of my house at the end of my senior year, wasn't talking to my dad. And I was like, I just want to get away from home, like get as far away from home as I can. So if I would have gotten off in Alaska, I would have gone to Alaska. Mm -hmm. So I got that scholarship and went out there. And, you know, by God's grace, he actually kind of took basketball away from me. So where it was my whole world and existence, my whole identity, really my God and my idol, um, it fell apart very quickly. And that's a tough transition for anybody. You know, at 18 years old, being away from home for the first time. So I probably would have been clinically diagnosed as depressed for sure. And by Thanksgiving of that first season, you know, I came in as like their top recruit. I had already mentally checked out, mentally and emotionally. I was already done. Even though I was the only freshman playing varsity, um, you know, I knew that I had lost my passion for the game. And um, so I finished out that year academically, finished out the season, but I had already mentally checked out by November. And I knew I was going to leave basketball. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up quitting basketball, coming back home to Louisville, and just dropped out of college entirely.
0: Yeah. So when you – when, when you say God took it away from you, was it just like a, just like you could just feel like a slow fade of the, of the game, like the passion of the game? Like so much that you had built into the game was now slowly just or, or was it a fact that like maybe college wasn't what you were expecting? What did that mean that like when you felt like God was taking the game away from you?
1: Well, I think the Lord works in multiple ways, but one powerful way is he works through people in your life. Um, both positively and negatively. And in that situation, you know, in my world now doing skills development, so much of what I do has turned into learning how to mentally, emotionally, spiritually push the right buttons with players. And you know how it is. Um, How many stories have you heard that a a kid loved basketball and he played for one bad coach? Mm -hmm. And that coach destroyed his confidence. Well, that happened for me at 18, 19 years old. You know, um, I just did not see eye to eye with this coach you know he was he was oh he had been there since the 70s Cam, the 70s he's been right. coaching there bro yeah. so he was he was the bobby knight um mode of like i'm going to break you and mold you into the player that i want and i just didn't respond to that you know i was used to getting cussed out my whole high school career at prp you know and i'm used to being coached hard i, would, I didn't have a problem with that it's just I had lost my passion for the game and whenever a player loses their passion, the next thing that goes is their work ethic. Right. And that was unlike, I was the, I was the gym rat. I was the one in early leaves late and I just didn't even want to be in the gym because I didn't want to be around this coach at the time. And uh, so I just, I think mentally and emotionally not having any stability being out in college on my own, I just kind of reclused, And I think, that is one way that God took the game away from me because when I left and came home, that's when that, that summer and fall is when I became a Christian. So it was like, it almost had to happen. I had to, my identity was in basketball. I needed that to be stripped away so I could find my identity in Christ.
0: Yeah. What was the, when when you became a Christian, what, what was going on in your life at that moment or what was that moment that you became a Christian?
1: So, uh, so I quit college and I moved back home. I was, I told you, I had a little falling out with my dad. I was, so I just moved in with my buddies in the South end of Louisville and these guys did drugs, sold drugs, partied. And so I kind of just jumped into that lifestyle and, um, I could feel myself kind of downspiring, but they kind of held me back and protected me in some ways because, you know, they, they knew I played basketball. So they were like, no, you know, you don't, you don't want to go down this route. You still got basketball or you, you, your life is still promising. But what happened was I went through that whole summer and then I saw an advertisement for a, um, church play called final destination i don't remember no you know if you know these uh those old movies final destination where people just die in all these crazy ways yeah, yeah. so i was like oh okay let's so
0: and it was a church play
1: it was a church play yeah. <laughs> so it was called final destination and they were sending postcards out to everybody so when you go to like a small church play you know it's going to be low budget you know it's going to be bad acting, and you know it's going to be ghetto, right? So I was like, but it piqued my interest. So here's what I did, and this is how twisted I was at the time. There was a girl that I really liked. I invited her to the play, mm-hmm. and I said, hey, you want to go to the play? Because in my head, I'm like, yo, we're going to start partying until around 10. The play's at 7. We can go there, and then, you know, but it looks like I got it together because I'm trying to pursue this girl. So I invite the girl to the play with me, and God is my witness the play was what you expected. It was it was terrible. But at the end, the pastor got up and he just for about 15, 20 minutes shared a very simple message of the gospel about Christ, about repentance, about the cross, the resurrection. And that was the first time in my life where I felt the weight of my sin. And I always say, before you can receive the grace and mercy of the cross, you must first understand that you have guilt in it. It has to be personal. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I realized, like, not just that Jesus died for me, but that he's on the cross because of my sins. Like I put him there. Yeah. That was the first time I felt that. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm with a girl. So like, you know, there's the altar call and I'm like, all right, Lord, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to walk up here. But uh, <laughs> I opened my eyes and the girl that was with me felt the same thing and we both went up there together now here's the banger that girl is my wife
0: wow yeah
1: what a night right yeah Came <laughs> to the lord and found my wife you know it's been all downhill since then but that was the <laughs> night of nights, <laughs> and uh, that's really how i came to the lord from Were there you, did you, know. you
0: did you attend did you attend church um growing up or did you have any kind of faith background before that
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew up in church, but, you know, we live in the Bible Belt. It was more of a cultural thing. It was Mm -hmm. a security blanket. But like the verse says, you know, my lips praise him, but my heart is far from him. And that was probably me, you know. So I grew up going to church. I got baptized as a kid. But there was no fruit in my life, no, no signs of regeneration or anything like that. Gotcha.
0: Now, you have the conversion moment you're there with your, you know, now wife, what was the, what was like the spiritual maturation that went into that? And also what was the time period before you um, then start back into ball?
1: So I actually took um, about two years, two and a half years off before I got back to Asbury. So when I came to Lord, I realized like the number one idol, in my life was basketball. Mm-hmm. So I just went the way the other end of the spectrum. I was like, all right, I, I'm not gonna do a basketball. I was gonna enroll in a Bible school, I did. And, you know, um, we, we got engaged pretty quickly and then married a year later and I'm, we went to Bible school in Dallas for a while, came back home to Louisville. I was gonna enroll in boys college, but we're young, we're married, we're broke. I'm working as a security guard, 50 hours a week. Like just wasting away wearing a clip on tie, I look like a Mormon (laughs) security guard, (laughs) but but, but I'm, I'm reading the word. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm just broke. You know, I ain't got no money to go to Bible school. We're just trying to survive as young married couple. And um, then we come up with this master plan that I'm just going to get back in shape and um, play college basketball. And so that, that's what I did. I got back in shape, started sending out tape, And everywhere from Iowa down to Florida, I started contacting coaches. And everybody wasn't really giving me the time of day. And right as I was about to give up, um, my wife contacted Asbury, like, behind my back. (laughs) Because I was just, like, so – I can't say – I mean, college after college, you keep hearing no. Like, it's so – And I was like, man, I'm, I'm 21 years old. I'm like, I'm washed up, man. I'm (laughs) over the hill at 21. I just, you know how it is. You don't have any perspective when you're young. And, uh, it was coach Aller at the time. Coach Yoss had not come back yet. Coach Aller was still the coach. He, he, um, coach Yoss was the next year. He invited me down and called me and I was actually like, no, I don't want to come down. And he's like, I really think you should come down. You know, we we recruited you at high school and like, we're losing like six seniors. So, like, they had a lot of scholarship opening up in spots, and I was like, man, I think, you know, I think I'm just going to stay as security guard, <laughs> wasting my life away. <laughs> so, he's trying to talk me off this cliff, right? And I'm just like, no, nah, you know, I might work at UPS, and then, um, you know, and so he was like, just come down for a visit. So, I did, crushed it, and they basically offered me a full ride after that workout. Wow. And that's how I got to Asbury, man. So praise God. And thanks to my wife, man.
0: Yeah. It is funny how, when we're young, we are so delusional. Like when I was having my exit interview for my junior college, my coach was like, so what are you going to do? Cause I I, I I, was getting my scholarship pulled because I was just hurt. And like you said, I was actually mentally checked out too. Cause I was in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And so our coach was like, what are you going to do next? And I'm thinking, I just started cutting the team, the, our team's hair, and I was like, I was like, I think I'm gonna go home and be
1: a barber. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you, yeah, you just and shout out to all the barbers. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. It's just that you know when you're young, it's like everything is the end of the world, man. That's yeah. how it was for me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't see that far for forward as far as what God wanted for me, and I, I had actually considered just going into. Ministry, I wasn't even going to try to play, you yeah. know. But that that passion came back for me.
0: Yeah, and then when I, and then that summer of 2010, I had had a few visits and started contacting schools and stuff like that, including a few Division One schools, but nothing was panning out. And I was working at Kroger and I was like, man, I really don't want to get stuck here for the rest of my life. Just because like like you were saying, all the people that worked around me just complained all the time and they were like almost dead. Like, even though they were living, they were just like living this dead life.
1: OK, <laughs> quick. We got to take a quick pause for a podcast story. OK, this is this is what I this is advice I give to a lot of young guys that either I train or I mentor. I say, look, man, you need to work a couple jobs jobs. your like that you just hate you just need to work something that you hate and i, I always tell the stories so look i was assistant garbage man i worked in factories but when i came back from quitting college basketball my freshman year i got a job in a factory in Bullock county kentucky all right now this is how i knew i need to get back to college just one story it's a 10 minute break right and Everybody goes outside, and the goal is to smoke as many cigarettes as possible in that 10 minutes. So they're just double-fisting smoking cigarettes. And I remember we were leaning up against the wall. I'm not smoking. I'm the only one not smoking cigarettes. And a forklift driver drives by, like, he's just too cool for school, has sunglasses on, hit the horn. What's up, y'all? And everybody on the wall looked at it like, man, one day, I'm going to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Like he makes $15 an hour and he drives that forklift. <laughs> and he knows
0: he's cool too. He got the sunglasses on honking at people. I say,
1: yo, if this is our life goes right now, I got to get out of here. I got to yeah. get out of And I quit the next week. I remember I quit the next week. And, but I always tell him, man, I hated that job working there, but you need them jobs sometimes. It gives you perspective. you know. Yeah,
0: yeah it really does. Um, you being older going to asbury was low key a cheat code cuz like you you're so much better at age 22 than you are at 18 even if you take time off i think just like the mental aspect of the game even like i absolutely i play like four times a year if that and i feel like i'm way better at 31 barely playing than i was at 20 21 playing every day at asbury um what what shifted for you when you did go back to asbury and play as a you know 20, 22 year old player 21 22
1: yeah you're absolutely right um i was a completely different player i remember like you talked to adam delf adam delf was like when he transferred from kentucky to play with me he was like bro what have you been doing <laughs> he's like you were nowhere near like this in prp when i remember growing up with you and it was Two things. Number one was being older and married, Mm -hmm. working the factory jobs, like doing stuff you hate, give you a different type of hunger when you come back. Like I'm sitting at the front of the class answering questions. You know, I'm 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 just motivated to go to class. I'm I'm thankful Mm -hmm. I had a different type of gratitude going to chapel because I was like, yo, I was on a smoke break at this time (laughs) one year ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now I'm in a chapel. And so I was just like, I was just thankful to be there. So that was one. The second part was when I came back to basketball, I came back with the perspective of this is my mission field. You know, I was very intentional about sharing the gospel through basketball that it, it was not going to be an identity for me. It was going to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. And that is a big thing that I think a lot of young players don't understand is that basketball is not your identity it is a blessing. And when you get those two mixed up, that's where I think everything gets off balance. So when I came back to basketball, I looked at it like, man, this is such a blessing to, to be in this position to play. I'm just going to enjoy it. And I swear, Cam, I never felt pressure from that point on. Like when I came to Asbury all the way through when I went overseas, because my identity and life and death was not wrapped up in how I played. Right. And that's coming from a perfectionist, someone who. You know, you beat yourself up all the time when you have a bad game. I got out of my own head and I was like, I'm going to use this as a form of worship. So when I'm between the four lines, I feel close to God. It's my sanctuary. You know, to this day, that's how I treat it. So I think I was freed then to activate all that work over the years. And um, like I said, you know, I don't think I would have been an all American if, you know, that hadn't happened. I think. I would have just pretty much capped myself like most players do. They can never get out of their head and play free. You know what I mean? It's not too often that you see a player when they're out there, they play with joy and they play free. And I felt like that was I got to that point when I came back because of that.
0: Yeah, you did play free, everybody. He played free because when I went to see <laughs> that game, he shot the first seven shots. And that's what that's what put me on. I was like, dang, he's getting them up.
1: <laughs> hey. And this is how it was, too. We had to ask Coach Yowes what the offense was. The offense was high ball, screen, field, go to work. <laughs> get, get, you need a bucket, I got you. That's a, that, that, was the, uh, that was the offense. I used to joke all the time with Coach Yowes in college uh, because I knew. I was like, all right, I have to get 25, 30 a night. Is He would call a play, and whoever was guarding me, I would turn. i was like all right i'm about to go at this dude regardless of the play i'm gonna go at him to see if he can laterally stay in front of me like if he couldn't laterally stay in front of me it was going to be a long night if he was like a good defender and i was like okay i gotta pick my spots so but yeah i played free because of that
0: (laughs) talk about your um work ethic while at asbury because i think your work ethic is kind of legendary because i remember hearing stories about how you would work on the, you would work, you would work out outside in the summer, um, the court at trustees, I think with the loose was clothes and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think around this time you had started to perfect or started to play with your two ball dribbling. I mean, the way you can handle two balls is just crazy, but um, talk about your work ethic and how it developed at um, Asbury. Well,
1: it's was kind of twofold. One was the, the, thankfulness that I got to play college basketball again because here's the thing at the end of the day I just love basketball man like I'm a junkie I love basketball so it's an outlet for me two is I already had the the foundation growing up to like just train you know what I mean I almost enjoy training as much as I did playing Mm -hmm. and so for me when I got to Asbury you know it surprised me when I was at the college level how many guys just didn't work on their game. Yeah. You know, like uh it they just didn't work on their game. So I would find one or two buddies that would be workout partners, but I was big about like getting up there in the morning, you know, before chapel working out, coming back at night working out. Uh like you said, I were I grew up playing at the park. So that was nothing for me to go to the outdoor courts and get get workouts in. And I lived on campus. You know, we lived in the marriage housing next to the library. So I lived there year round. So, you know, Wilmore is uh, not necessarily a party town or a lot going on in there. Pretty, pretty laid back other than Subway. So like I just worked on my game year round and uh, it was a, it was a place where I could really focus in and hone my craft. So that's, that's pretty much where it came from.
0: And what I love about what you're saying is not many guys that we played with, like you're saying, didn't work on their game. And I, I think it wasn't not because they didn't love basketball, but I think some of them thought, like, what was the point? Like, I'm here to play basketball, but after this, there's no, like, NBA or pro or or whatever. So they're just, like, I guess they're just happy to be on the team or whatever. So for you, um, it it seems like your love for the game is what made you continuously work on your game and just being the best that you could be, really.
1: Yeah, well, I don't feel like I could – I don't feel like I could truly glorify God through the game. If I'm given a half baked effort, mm-hmm. you know, and the other aspect is the reason why I was successful in college is because I treated it like I was a pro. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. When you go to the college level, a lot of guys get there. Cause I, I'll tell you this. I remember my sophomore year coming to Asbury and you know, they got the bios on the website. This is before I knew everybody. I went down the bios, bro. And everybody was all state, like our all region player of the year, or we had a guy on JV that never played varsity averaged like 28, a game. In high school. Right. He couldn't get on the varsity uniform. Right. He couldn't get on it. So everybody was like the best player from where they came from. That's yeah. what I realized. So there was that fear factor that I never really lost my entire career, which was, am I good enough? Mm-hmm. I always play with that fear that somebody was going to take my spot or that You know, my wife made so many sacrifices and she's I don't want to let her down. I don't want to let my family down. I don't want to get embarrassed, you know, because I was in Kentucky. I'm from Louisville. So it would be nothing for like some of my friends or family to drive up. So I'm like, oh, they drove up an hour and a half. I got to put on a show. Right. You know, like I just didn't want to disappoint them or like Coach House really supported me. And so I was like, I don't want to let Coach House down. You Know what I mean? Because his first three years was my three years. Mm-hmm. So we were like kind of like his guinea pigs in a way. And he's like trying to find his way as a young coach. So I was like, I wanted to I, I didn't I didn't want to let him down. So I felt that pressure, even though I was at a small school, it would have been no different than if I played for U of L or U of Like I approached the game that way.
0: Yeah. And you and Shouse weren't that far apart in age, you know, when he first became the coach. He was probably yeah, like 26, he, 27.
1: Uh, yeah, he was in his late 20s. And like you said, I came in at like 21, 22. So I graduated, I was like 24 when I finished. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Um, so you have a pretty, you have a, you have a very successful tenure at Asbury, All-American, you know, thousands of points scored, played free, um, and then you played pro. What, what went into the process of playing pro and when did you realize that that was a possibility?
1: That's a book right there. That story is a book and a, but I'll give you the condensed version. So after my junior year, um, so my sophomore year, I think this story has value. This is why I want to tell it my sophomore year. This is what, this is where the switch hit. I think that made me a pro Mm -hmm. after my sophomore year. Um, we, we were beating IU Southeast was number one in the conference at the time. And, um, the final four. Okay. So we're trying to win the re we're trying to win the conference uh, tournament. Only, only person that goes to the national tournament is the person who wins the conference tournament. Right. And we're up by like 10 with like a few minutes to go. And we blow it and they come back and beat us, which is, man, that hurt. But after that game, the way it worked out, we were up in Alice Lloyd. They brought the table out for some reason between the two games to give out the all conference team. Mm -hmm. So it's 10 players who all conference. So in my head, I'm like, I'm definitely an all conference team. Plus it was one of my goals. So they call the 10 out in front of me. They come up and get their wardens and and I don't get called. Mm. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'll play at least five of them dudes. on there, Right. So our season gets ended. We, we lose a game in a tough way. And I didn't make that. And then we got to get on the bus and go home from Alice Lloyd, which if you know, <laughs> yeah. Alice Lloyd's like in the east, like in the mountains, it looks like a Cracker Barrel gym. Yep. And we had to ride that three and a half hour bus ride back. Yeah. So I remember coach comes up to me and he's like, man, you know, that was a tough game, but you know, you're going to have a big junior year. Don't worry about it. You know, they, they gave it ma- mainly all conferences like juniors and seniors, which, you know, I'm not trying to hear all that. Right. So I'm like, I got jipped, like I got overlooked. So if I wouldn't have had that disappointment and that pain of the loss and that pain of like people doubting me, I don't think I would have worked to the level that I did. And I completely changed my game and body from my sophomore to junior year, you know, where I averaged about 15 my sophomore year. The first semester I was averaging 29. This my junior, junior, year. junior year. Okay. Yeah. You. So it was like, and um, the next two years, I did finish top 10 in the nation in scoring. And, uh, but I, I say that because I needed that disappointment to change my trajectory and focus in my training mm-hmm. going forward. After my junior year, I was named All American, All Conference. They found out that I'm half Filipino. There was an agent or a scout in the Philippines. So they actually offered to – this was before NIL. They offered me a salary for me to leave my senior year, fly to the Philippines. They were going to put me and my wife up in an apartment, give us a car, pay us a salary to play on, like, what was their level of, like, Duke, North Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, college, play there my senior year, and then go straight into the pro league. Because my name had got entered into a pool for young players to be on the national team, the Philippines national team. Mm -hmm. So that. That seed sparked the idea that I could actually play professional basketball.
0: How did they find out that you were half Filipino?
1: Well, that's the point is I don't know. I I (laughs) want to I really don't know. Honestly, I really don't know. Um, once I created a highlight film though, and I posted it on YouTube, then it just kind of took off because it got it got uh kind of got out to scouts and stuff over in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So You know, that's really the seed. So what I did was me and my wife made this plan and it was sacred. It was such a big plan and kind of like, I'm going to play professional basketball after I graduate that we didn't tell anybody. Right. You know, some, some things that, that God puts on your heart, you can't just talk to people about, you gotta, you gotta protect that and let that grow in the dark. And so I trained and prepared myself going into my senior year. And from then on, like I was going to play pro basketball. That's really the seed of how it got planted. Now how I got over there, took me another 18 months because of kind of my testimony, which was my mother's Filipino, but I don't have any relationship with her. So long story short for my whole senior year, I'm trying to find my mother. Mm. One was like, I was ready to mend that bridge with her. And two was I needed that paperwork to become a dual citizen to go over to the Philippines. And then play as an Asian import, and um, like two weeks before my graduation, I found out that she had actually passed away a few years early. Wow! And then the agent I was working with in the Philippines. So this all happened at once. Was like, hey, if if she passed away and you don't have her papers, I'm sorry. You know, you're not going to be able to. This is not going to work. So maybe. And he ended our business relationship right there. Mm. So just like that, you know, um, I found out my mother passed away and I would never get to have that relationship with her. And also my dream of playing overseas ended, you know, all in like a 24 hour period. Yeah. So so that was a big emotional blow for me. And I actually gave up the idea of playing pro basketball until, um, another agent later on came in the picture and over another 12 month period helped me get my citizenship paperwork, my passport. And then that's, that's what opened up my ability to play overseas as an Asian import and, um, you know, ended up allowing me to play in six different countries overseas.
0: Wow. And I bet I'm trying to, so like you kept it secret and I know like, like, for example, when I, when I heard you were playing overseas, I was shocked too. Cause I was like, wow, like, you know, someone from Asbury is actually playing overseas in like a, not like a YMCA overseas league, but like a, like a legit, professional league and i can imagine like people you grew up with and everything else like phil morrison went to asbury and he's playing professional you know what i mean like we we have we have many guys that we know that played d1 that didn't find a spot overseas um yeah so what was your experience like over
1: there and how many how many seasons did you play i played i played about four years and my experience was to be in my 20s with my wife traveling, the culture, the travel and getting to play in that experience, I think I would take away as worth every every second of it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going through a lot spiritually, emotionally, because people don't know there's a dark side to overseas basketball, the business side. Yep. You know, I was a little naive. I came from Asbury, where. I had a coach that prayed for me and I think looked out for my best interest. When I go over there, it's just cutthroat. Yeah. And uh, you meet a lot of snakes, a lot of shady people over there. So I think I was a little naive that I thought it was just about basketball. And what you what you realize is how mentally, emotionally tough you have to be to to live that lifestyle. You know what I mean? And I could have kept playing, but. Again, one of the big reasons why I quit is because while I was overseas, God revealed to me that the next chapter of my life was Hoops for Christ, to use basketball as a platform to share the gospel. So, you know, he brought other pastors and missionaries in my life that poured into me while I was playing pro ball. And it revealed to me, like, this is what I need to do. And, it, you know, when I'm coming back home between seasons, you know, my Hoops for Christ and the training and everything kind of really just took off. So I had to make a decision do I want to hold on till it's too late or do I want to get out early mm-hmm. when the time was right? And so that's what made me decide to pretty much retire at 29, you know, right when I was in my prime and uh, felt like I had a lot more to prove. I felt like I had heard and saw what my calling was on my life through sports ministry.
2: Yeah.
0: I love hearing people's stories. This is so fun to see how like just things just fall in line. You know what I mean? Like whether it, bouncing back from disappointments you know you threw the game away and come back at an older age to Asbury find out that you could potentially play pro then the dream kind of gets nixed but then it then it starts back up then you play pro and then all of a sudden you know in, in between you're playing pro life you're, you're you're doing skills and training but also develop the idea for who's for Christ and in between that you know you're playing you're playing pro but also doing this when you come home and like all these things are kind of just falling in line and then once you decide to retire from ball at 29 um what what goes into the building blocks of hoops for christ like when you come back home to louisville you know full time what are some of your first steps that you take to start building this you know um business
1: Well, it was, you know, the scripture says, uh, the steps of the man are ordered by the Lord. And in a lot of ways, how can we understand our way? You know, it's, we don't quite, I never really had it mapped out or planned out. It kind of just unfolded from two passions. One was like my passion to share the gospel. I knew that I had been called in some kind of way to preach, teach, evangelize. So that's one part. The second part is I wanted to be one of the best skills development coaches on the planet you know, when I was playing overseas, they would fly in guys from IMG, from impact, uh, you know, Gannon Baker, who was the guy now one, like one of my good friends and mentors, Mm -hmm. but there's, there's guys all over the world that before Instagram and social media and training became a thing, there were a lot of guys who made really good money traveling the world as skills development coaches, and they were specialists in that. Mm -hmm. So the affirmation I would get was from, my. All my pro coaches were like, Phil, take them through your workout. Phil, take them through your ball handling stuff. And then there would be – when I got to a higher-level league, there would be, like, these trainers from Impact IMG. They'd come in, really big names, and they'd take us to a workout, and the veterans and the pros would be like, hey, man, they should have just paid you. <laughs> like, right. your workouts are better than this. Yeah. So I was like, man, really, I appreciate that. You know, they, so I'm getting that affirmation from my peers – and other respected pros. And so I was like, I want to do both. I want to be excellent in the area of skills training and player development and also excellent in the area of sharing the gospel. And that's really how the two came together, you know, um, when I started Hoops Price.
0: Yeah, that's funny. When I was uh, in high school and I was trying to get better at basketball, my aunt bought me these uh, better, Better Basketball DVDs. And so like, those were the only trainers that I knew of was whoever was on that. And so I remember Gannon Baker, he would be on that sometimes. And then I found Micah Lancaster. Mm -hmm. And so like those, I only knew a handful of basketball trainers when I was, when I was growing up and now you can get on Facebook and Instagram and everyone wants to do skill development and such. Um, I used to laugh at Gannon Baker because he would, he would be so extreme with the, you know, ball handling drills and the chairs and stuff like that. Hair, hair flapping in the wind. Uh, yeah. He was, he was funny to watch, but he had, I mean, he had, he had great stuff though. Um, This next question, I'm, I'm going to try to position it right. So here's what I feel like a lot of times within Christian culture and people striving to do, great things. Right. So you have like, you're trying to balance the personal, um, aspirations with what God wants you to do. Right. I feel like a lot of times people, people get this mixed up of like, God wants us to do our best. Right. And so I think, I think some people are afraid of trying things or doing risk for fear that, that it might be about them or they might, um, or they might, you know, have the tendency to take the credit for it or whatever. So I know I'm kind of rambling, but so like for you, you have these individual accolades and goals that you wanted to do while you were hooping as far as making all American, you know, averaging all these points and stuff. But also like, once you've transitioned into training, you wanted to be the best, one of the best trainers in the world. You know what I mean? So how do you balance that of like one, you have your personal aspirations and goals, but also staying faithful to God's vision. Does that make sense?
1: Great question. Yeah, there's something I struggle with years with, especially at Asbury. I really struggle with being a competitive Christian. Mm-hmm. Like you said, having personal goals. You know, one of the best examples I ever heard was when David defeated Goliath in the name of the Lord, he didn't apologize when he cut his head off. <laughs> and I think sometimes as Christians, we forget our Lord is a lion and a lamb mm-hmm. and you have to learn when to activate both. Mm. And I do think being weary of pride and ego is a real thing. I think it, it is part of our human nature. It's our flesh, you know, but one thing that helped me, like I said, going back to the David and Goliath example is I cannot truly glorify God. If I hold back, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do that. And so for me, what i found is, you know, with my testimony, remember, Cam, I, I took two and a half years off and came back and got way better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is that because of me? Cause I'm so great. Absolutely not. I mean, that's a testimony, you know, to God's providence in my life, that that was the plan. Like I tried to screw up every opportunity I got. I mean, I got to Asbury because my wife made the phone call. Yeah, you know, I get I get to Asbury, and you know, after taking two and a half years off to like go deep with the Lord, all of a sudden I, I'm a different player on the court, and I and I and I tapped into a different level of potential that I didn't, I never could figure out before. Even though I worked nonstop, I just mentally emotionally could not break through to be that type of player. Yeah, you know, because at the highest level, it's the details, it's the mindset you know, it's instincts at the highest level. That's what separates players because everybody works hard when you move up. I mean, hard work's the price of admission. Right. Everybody works hard. So, you know, for me, my testimony is that, how I got overseas. I mean, 18 months of going through all this stuff, quitting, coming back, and, like, it was it was never me, ever. Like, I could never honestly take the credit, you know. So – I think everybody's journey is different. But for me, it was always, you know, that the Lord would get the glory for any type of success I would do. And then I've been very intentional. I mean, I'm very intentional about basketball, trying to be one of the best basketball teachers on the planet and using social media and that platform to be an educator, not an entertainer. Mm. Like I'm trying to educate and teach at the highest level. And that has brought me before other great people who are now friends, peers, and brothers, like a Phil Handy and a Gannon Baker and Jay Hernandez and all these NBA coaches. Um, but at the same sense, I'm very directed. My objective, you know, if I passed away tonight in 20 years or in 50 years, my objective is, is to share the gospel with the short time I have. You know, I want to I be very intentional about, I hope when people would go to my funeral, they would never say, Man, he can really dribble those two balls, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I'm saying man, you remember when he trained that nBA player? i mean it, it's it, we laugh and it's silly, right? but that's right. what drives man, that's what drives people money, yeah. the need to be seen, the need to feel significant through the game. And for me, I realized that um at a young age that that was vanity. Mm-hmm. And my whole purpose on this earth is to be a light and my light is through the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what I try to be very intentional about um, within the game.
0: That's awesome. That was a great answer to the question. Well, I want to respect your time. And as we wrap up, what are some of the lessons that you, so, you know, we talk about this being between the game of life and you've dropped many nuggets, but what are some of the biggest lessons that you try to pass on to the younger
1: players that you train? One is, um, hard work is the price of admission. Like, everybody works hard. So, you know, the the issue is consistency. Be the tortoise, not the hare. Everybody wants the flash. They wanna be the most athletic. They want the highlight reel. But the, the tortoise ends up winning the race. It's the one that can be consistent, keep their head down, be teachable, be humble, and just stay on a course. Because mm-hmm. most people fall off. If you can shoot to be the t- be the tortoise, not the hare, you will win the race. Uh, that's one. Two is become a specialist. Um, the NBA is made up of about thirty guys that are just out of this world gifted. You're you're wearing their shoes. They're the max contract guy. After that, you know, ninety five percent of the NBA is made up of specialists. They get paid millions of dollars to do one thing. Really great. One thing. Yep. They're in the corner, and when LeBron passes the ball, they can hit that shot at a higher rate than anyone else. They come in to lock down and be the defensive specialist, Pat Bev. They come in to get rebounds and set screens. Like, And there's millions of guys out there that do it. We all play basketball. But what makes them different? They're doing it at the highest level. And if somebody wants to be successful, like say you want to get minutes on your varsity team or you want to get a college scholarship or you want to get a pro contract – You got to remember, nobody cares about what you're good at. They only pay attention to what you're great at. Mm -hmm. To be truly great at something, it requires complete focus in your life. Like there's a price that comes with that. And so you have to think about, okay, what am I naturally good at? What are my strengths? Hone in on that. And if you give your life to working and developing that craft, perhaps you can become elite. And when you become elite, that's when the doors open. You know, nobody's going to pay attention because you're good at something. They only care about what you're great at. And uh, I'd probably say the last one, land a plane on sports ministry is from Matthew 5. You know, let your light shine before others so that when they see your good work, they will give glory to your father in heaven. The question each person has to answer is like, what is my light? Mm. You know, right now, the common saying is like, what's your why? Right. But I asked, what is your light? You know, your light is your gifts and talents and opportunities that God gave you. Because when you shine and you use that gift and talent, it draws attention or as the verse says, glory. You know, like me and you, we, we know of Steph Curry because of his light. We can't personally call him on the phone necessarily, but we know of him because of his light.
2: Right.
1: And whenever you activate your gift, you use your light. It's going to draw eyes. That's the purpose of a light to help people see. Mm-hmm. The issue is, like you said, is are we turning that attention to ourselves or do we understand that we're really a, re- a mirror to reflect the light to Christ? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that would probably be just a few nuggets that I really try to live by. And I've learned as far as being successful, but also trying to use your platform and your gift to honor God.
2: Yeah.
0: And then as a as a I just thought of this question as well. But what are some of the biggest um some of the biggest overlaps between, you know, the way you worked at the game and the way you have built your who's for Christ business. Like, like do you see a lot of similarities that go into sports and business?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think Mark Cuban has a quote that business is the ultimate sport, mm. you know? And uh, I think for me being such a basketball junkie, you know, when you stop playing, you know, this too, Cam, when you, that's a, hard thing to stop playing it's like a grieving process it's like somebody died when you give yourself to that sport and a lot of people don't transition out they never they never actually they never actually leave that they're living in the past and um for me what helped me transition out was (laughs) having that thing in front of me like building a business building a ministry you know and so that's really how I approached it but you know I will tell you one thing I've learned is whoever whoever becomes the most valuable or can bring the most value always wins. Mm-hmm. It's a game of value. So if we're all skills trainers, then why does one rise to the top above the others? You know, and I I think my conclusion is it it has very little to do with what you do or your drills or you know, that's, you know, teaching is a gift. That's part of it. That's what separates you. But to me, it's, do you, are you able to do more for someone else because people will always do what's best for them? Right. People are not loyal to you. They're, they're, they're going to do what's best for them or best for their child. So the issue is, can you become the one that's best for them and their child? Can you provide more value than the next person? And if you can do that and find creative ways to do that, um, you'll always be at the top of your game. I love that.
0: well Phil I appreciate your time man this is this was awesome you're a man of uh, deep conviction um, i've I've loved watching you build the business you know from a from a distance and I've always enjoyed um, you know talking to you whenever I've gotten the chance and I still remember my senior year you sent me a Facebook message saying that you know I can I can, be the best player on the court whenever I step out there, no matter who I'm playing against. And I remember getting that message and feeling really, really encouraged. So Mm. I never, I never told you, thank you for that, but I appreciate that. I appreciate your time and um, yeah, between the game and life. Thanks, man.
1: It was an honor. Thanks brother.